Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to earn more and less time doing work they love for better clients. Just a quick reminder that you can find detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 205. Those notes include a summary of our discussion as well as any links to resources we mentioned during the show. If you're in the U.S., tax season is upon us, unfortunately. (laughs) And I know the topic of taxes might not be the most exciting topic for many of us, but Getting a handle on your taxes and your finances is one of the most important things you can do to run and grow a healthy, professional freelance business. I find that we tend to spend so much time and energy growing our income that we give too little focus to making sure we keep as much of that income as we possibly can. Now, fortunately, taxes don't have to be as stressful as we make it out to be. It's about the planning and about getting the right kind of help. This episode is for U.S. freelancers only. And don't worry, if you're outside of the U.S., I'll be back next week with more stuff for everybody. But in this particular episode, you're going to hear from Diane Gardner. Diane is a certified tax coach, a Quilly Award recipient, and a best-selling author who has saved her clients millions of dollars. She works specifically with freelancers and entrepreneurs on how to decrease owed taxes to the lowest legal limit and increase business cash flow. Diane shares a number of valuable nuggets in this conversation, including what the biggest mistake freelancers make when it comes to taxes, how to maximize your deductions, and you'll find some great ideas there that I never heard of or thought of, how to make tax planning easier and less stressful, how to minimize your tax liability even as you move into higher tax brackets, and much, much more. So don't miss this one if you're in the U.S. There's some great, great stuff inside. I hope you enjoy it. Diane, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. And I'm so happy to be on your program. I'm looking forward to a wonderful conversation with you. And it's going to be great. I know this is a topic that scares a lot of people, but I know that by the end of our conversation, listeners are going to feel like, you know what? That's not so bad. I love the energy that you bring to this discussion, and we're going to be getting into that. But before we do, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? So you know, what kind of work you do, what kind of clients you typically work with? Just give us the Diane story. Well, I'm fortunate that I get to work with the most amazingly wonderful clients all across the United States. I work with successful service business clients who are in pain over the amount of tax that they're paying. They know that they want to grow their business and earn more money, but when you grow your business and earn more money, you're going to pay more tax. And it's like, I really don't want to pay more tax, but I really want to get to where I'm trying to get to in business. And so they're looking for somebody who will come alongside them and show them how to pay the least amount of tax they can pay legally while being able to grow their business and increase their profits all at the same time. Oh, I like the sound of that. So mostly service-based businesses, I'm assuming some of those are creative professionals such as ourselves? Yes, yes. Creative professionals are fun to work with. 
as long as they don't panic over the money subject or the tax subject. Yes. Well, it can be confusing. And I know we're going to be addressing that. This is important. I find that a lot of writers just try to avoid this altogether. It's kind of like, you know, maybe like my dog, my dog, when she does something wrong, she just looks away thinking, if she can't see me, (laughs) everything's okay. And they kind of ignore this. And then at the end of the year, they really have to pay the price. So I'm curious if maybe we could start with the biggest mistakes that you see freelance professionals make when it comes to taxes. So let's just address that head on. The very biggest mistake that I see them make is a lack of planning. Because it's an uncomfortable topic, they don't understand it, they don't want to understand it because they're good at what they do. They just ignore it. And then at tax time, they get slapped and they get slapped pretty hard sometimes. So that makes it even more uncomfortable. So let's ignore it even more. So the cycle kind of gets rolling, where if they're willing to take some time and stop and work with a professional who will help them put together a plan, there is so much that can be done and we can completely change the output of tax season as evidenced by the over $4 million that I've saved my clientele over the last few years. Wow. I like what you said about putting together a plan because, so I come from a family of entrepreneurs and my dad always drilled it into my head. He said, Ed, when you go into business, you should have some partners and one of your trusted partners should be a really good accountant. And I want you to think of them as a partner. So I was still really early days and I went out searching for someone that I could partner up with for the long haul. And to me, it was always much more than just, about, hey, can you do my taxes? I wanted someone that I could formulate a plan with. And that to me is a real partnership. And I like the way you're approaching it. So it sounds like you work with clients way beyond just the tax filing aspect of it. You bet. You bet. Yes. In fact, the only way I'll take on a client is through putting together a plan for them because we don't take on people who just walk in off the street and need their taxes done. Now, as a result of working with a client and developing this long-term relationship, then we're happy to assist them with tax returns or whatever else that they need in that arena. But the main goal is to build out this plan, meet with them on a regular basis, make sure they understand their numbers, make sure they understand that if they make this change in their business, this is what will happen and help them be more successful than they would be otherwise. Absolutely. It's, uh, hey, you do what you do best and you do what you do best as an accountant. And it goes both ways. So let's talk a little bit about, I'd like to get into deductions and really kind of minimizing your tax liability. So maybe we can talk about some concrete steps. A lot has changed over the past couple of years with the new tax law. And I would love to, if you could share maybe some concrete ideas that especially those that many freelancers or self-employed professionals don't seem to be aware of. Maybe we can start there and then we can expand from that. You bet. You bet. In my book, The 10 Most Expensive Tax Mistakes That Cost You Thousands, we talk about some of those types of things. We talk about entrepreneurs who are maybe have outgrown their business entity type. Maybe they started out as a sole proprietor or a single member LLC and they've been successful, they've grown quickly, and they're now making some money, and they've outgrown that initial entity type. And so it's costing them thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in tax each year. 
So maybe it's time to sit down and do an entity analysis and look through that business and come up with the entity that's going to fit for the next five or 10 years. So that's a big one where we see people spending money. A lot of my successful service business type entrepreneurs are not even thinking about retirement planning. They're so busy running their business, getting the next job, quoting it, getting it done, getting it invoiced, all that type of thing that they're not thinking more long term. And so we want to look at those types of things for tax deductions. There's some great deductions in that world. There's some wonderful deductions in things like hiring family members. Did you know that the IRS says that your child has to be at least seven years old to be able to work for you in your business? I had no idea. (laughs) What could we do with a child? (laughs) It's a great way to pay for things like summer camps and I always say basketball camps, football camp, horse camp, what dance camp, whatever it might be, those extras over and above. If you can find a way to employ your child in your business, you've just paid for that camp that you were going to pay for anyhow with after-tax dollars. Now you've paid for it with pre-tax dollars because you've paid your child a wage out of your business. That is, I, I was not aware of that. That yeah. is an interesting idea, especially with the work that a lot of us do, where there are several components that happen beyond the writing that don't require necessarily mm-hmm. our expertise, research, administrative work, and so forth. That yeah. Think about your, your high schooler, yeah, your college student. How could you help them start funding a college account by working in your business? And under the new tax law, the first 12000 dollars that they make is tax-free because that's the standard deduction right now. So that's a lot of money that they could potentially earn before they have to file a tax return. Absolutely. What could you do? How could you make that work? Flip it around the other direction. What if you're helping to support a sibling or a parent or an aunt or an uncle or somebody that you're helping to support them because they just need that extra little bit? What if you could flip it around and hire them to do something in your business? And now you're paying for that support with pre-tax dollars instead of after-tax dollars. I want to go back to something you touched on. And forgive me, this question feels like it's kind of in the weeds, but it's one of the most common questions I get when it comes to this kind of thing. And I I have to tell people, look, I am not a financial professional. I'm not an accountant. I can't really advise you on this. So wondering if you could at least maybe give us a little bit of direction, even if it's not a very specific answer. I get a lot of people who ask me, look, when should I go from sole proprietor to either an LLC or an S-corp or something along those lines? How do you typically advise your clients in terms of that decision? I tend to look at their net income or their net profit. When that net profit starts hitting that eighty dollars to $100,000 range, it's time to have a very serious conversation. And with somebody who's a freelance writer, they don't have a lot of overhead. Most of them are working from home. Maybe they're using a co-working space or something like that, but they don't have the big overhead that another type of business. So they'll get there faster than a business who's got employees and overhead and all that type of thing. But that's where I start having that serious conversation of what is the best entity? Have you potentially outgrown your initial sole proprietor, single member LLC, whatever it might be? And, and is, is the reason for that, that we're going to have some costs here that we need to offset with tax savings and those tax savings don't come into play until you have a, a higher income level? Yes, yes. 
Because if we were to turn somebody into, change their entity into maybe an S-corp or an LLC taxed as an S-corp, then we have to put that owner shareholder on payroll. And so there's the cost of processing payroll. There's some possible some unemployment you're going to have to pay to the state and or federal. There's some workers' comp that may or may not have to be paid depending on what state you're in. There's some of those kinds of costs out there. There's the possibility of a separate tax return, a business tax return that's going to have some costs in it. And so you really, we always, you want to do a cost savings analysis. And we want to make sure that the tax savings far outweigh those costs that you're going to pay to move up to this next level of being in business. Yeah, that's a great point. Those are a lot of things that a lot of people don't think about. And, you know, so my advice, personal advice to people is if you're new, don't get hung up on this. Start as a sole proprietor. And like Diane says, you can always uh, move into a different category later. And I say that because I see too many kind of newer freelancers uh, get hung up on this. And guess what? They use it as a delay tactic. And deep down inside, it's really a fear issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where they want to spend three or four months researching this and they still haven't gotten started. And yeah, what you're saying is, look, start simple. We can always get there later. That's when it makes sense. Definitely start simple. Just pull the trigger and go. You can deal with the rest of this down the road. You know, up to about that eighty to 100000 range, you really don't recoup the cost, the, the tax savings versus the cost that it's going to take to be more of a formal type entity. That makes sense. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some of the most important changes in the tax law as they apply to us. And then maybe also then take a look ahead into things that are new this year in 2020. So can you maybe give us a high-level overview of some of the most important changes that impact us from, from this past tax law, this new tax law? You bet. Under the new tax law, probably one of the biggest changes that people saw was they lost their dependence as an exemption on their tax return. And that was whether you're self-employed or a W-2 employee. We went the tax return used to be your know, total income minus your exemptions, minus standard deduction or itemized deductions brought you to taxable income. Now it is total income minus standard deduction or taxable in standard deduction or itemized deductions equals total taxable income. So we've lost a little spot in there. To make that up, they doubled the standard deduction amount. So I noticed in my practice, probably half of the people that used to itemize deductions are no longer itemizing deductions. They're taking that higher standard deduction now. So that made an effect on various types of my clients. Where the good news came in was for those with younger children. If you've got children under 17 years old, the child tax credit went from $1,000 to $2,000 per child. That became huge because a tax credit versus a deduction are completely different. A credit is a dollar-for-dollar savings. So if you owe $100 in tax and you've got a $100 credit, you now owe zero in tax. But if you owe $100 in tax and you have a $100 deduction and you're at the 25% tax bracket, you're only going to get a $25 change in your tax outcome. And so that was kind of hard for people to wrap their heads around some of those basic changes right there. Over and above that, moving into the self-employment world, we used to have meals and entertainment were deductions in a business, but we lost the entertainment piece. And I'm not sure if that, you know, 
really hurt your industry as much as it hurts some of the other industries. But if you were to take a client out and take them maybe to a sports function and then out to a meal or something like that, now only the meal piece could be deductible where the, the actual function wouldn't be. So I noticed that with several of my clients that used to do some of that kind of stuff, some of the golfing, some of the sports activities, some of the just special type things that they used to do with their clients are no longer deductible. Now, some clients have chosen to do them anyhow, and they'll just take their lumps and take it as personal income. But it has really changed the way businesses are thinking about doing business by losing that entertainment factor, because that was a real way to build relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I know that uh, it was also kind of abused. (laughs) It was very much so, which is why we lost it. (laughs) I wonder if you could speak a little bit to this 20% deduction that businesses got. I think it's 20%. I'm not sure exactly what the terminology is, but I remember seeing a lot of questions about that and specifically the fact that there were some exceptions to that rule. And one of it, it sounded like if you were a service-based professional like we are, then you wouldn't qualify for that 20% tax deduction as a business. So what can you tell us about that? You bet. Yes. That new 20% deduction is what's called a qualified business income deduction. Now I'm going to back up and give you some backstory on that. Back when they were working, reworking the tax law, they took into account that America's corporate tax rate of maximum of 35% was some of the highest rates out there compared to other countries. And so they were trying to help us become more efficient or whatever in the more global type economy. And so they dropped that corporate rate from 35% down to 21%. Well, Congress said, well, if we don't do something for the rest of the businesses out there, every business in the world is going to turn around and become a C corporation. So they could take advantage of that 21% because that's quite a bit lower than a lot of people were paying if they were successfully in business. They were paying as high as 39%. So when they did that, they came up with this qualified business income deduction. So for the rest of us who are not operating in a C corporation status, we are, in theory, we're able to take our net profit of the business and multiply it times 20% and take a new deduction over on our personal income tax return. But there are caveats to that. Any business that has professionals or services that is based on the skill of the shareholder owner type person. So your industry, my industry, attorneys, doctors, those types of of industries where we are selling our skill as opposed to a product of some sort, we are not able to take full advantage of this. Up to certain income levels, we can take advantage of it. Once we exceed certain income levels, then it starts dropping off until we get nothing at all. So there's a possibility that you get some, but maybe not the whole thing. Or you might get it all depending on what your total income level is. And they look at all income sources when they're looking at the income levels. And and can you give us an approximation of what that is? I mean, it sounds like it varies, but I mean, are we talking about a million dollars or a hundred thousand dollars? It was, I believe. Don't I believe it was right around the 415,000 level for a married couple. It mm-hmm. started dropping off last year. And I have not seen the numbers for this year, if they're going to hold them there, if they're going to move them up a bit. So somewhere in that 400-ish thousand range, then it starts dropping off and you start losing that deduction. 
So, so you it have phases to phases out. Your, it's not a big. It's not an, right. It's not an all or nothing situation. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to look at your spouse's income to add it to your income, plus any other kinds of income that you might have on your tax return, and and it will start phasing out. So gotcha. it helps some. It didn't help everybody. What was but the it, reasoning behind it for that decision? It seems unfair. I mean, maybe does, I'm biased. It does. I wish they would have just made it a standard 20% for all businesses, but they didn't. And I don't really know why they didn't, other than they think that those of us who use our, I mean, you say use our brain, for lack of a better word, in our business, those of us, they tend to think that we're all really rich and that we shouldn't get those kind of deductions on the other side. And so I think that had something to do with it, was supposedly keeping it fair for your common everyday person. Yeah, it it seems like, you know, this is the way the world is going. More and more businesses are all about their intellectual property, their skills, their experience, their talent, not about brick and mortar, you know, inventory on the shelf Mm -hmm. um, kind of situation. So it just seems like maybe the reasoning behind it was just faulty. Yeah, right. Because why should we be penalized? Because we've chosen a profession where we are selling our brain power, our, exactly. our intellectual property, or whatever wording you want to use. You're selling your brain power. You're not just selling a loaf of bread on the shelf. Absolutely. So. Well, it's good to know because I know a lot of people weren't aware of that deduction, but you know, it sounds like it's something we need to take into account and look into. In terms of changes or anything new coming out in 2020 doesn't sound like you know the the big change was for last tax year but anything we should be aware of that's coming out there's been some more clarification on the qualified business income deduction it's just now starting to hit the accounting community i mean i've got some upcoming classes on what is this new clarification that they're talking about so at the time that this interview is going to be going live, we will have answers to that. I don't have them today. But other than that, the general new tax law that we got last year is in place until 2025. And so at that point, who knows what will happen? But for the most part, you know, we're pretty assured that the lower tax rates that we got will be there for the next few years. And you know, the double standard deduction, the double child tax credit, those types of things at this point in time look like they will be there through 2025. So that's, I was not aware of that. I know a lot of people are very concerned about, wait a minute, is this thing here to stay? Or if a new president comes on board, can they just change it, repeal it immediately? So what, 2025, that's kind of a done deal? As far as I've been told, and through 2025, this is our tax law. Things could change after that. Now, it doesn't mean if we got a new president that they couldn't come back and make a change and make it retroactive so that it could somehow get into this time period through 2025 because Congress seems to you know, do all kinds of stuff. So Yeah, there's always a loophole. There always is a loophole <laughs> and they always throw it in in the last week of the year, yeah, which yeah. creates havoc in my world because you're trying to plan with somebody and then here comes Congress something and then they make it retroactive. And they, you know, they do it in the new year and they make it retroactive to the last week of the last year or something. And it's like, there went my strategy when they do yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> fun, fun, they'll fun. They'll give you something, but you didn't know about it in time to have taken advantage of it. Yeah. And I also want to clarify something for listeners. When we're talking about new things that are coming out in 2020, that would be for 2020 tax year. So things that you don't necessarily need to worry about uh, right now as you're listening to this, depending on when you are listening to it. But 
that will apply to income earned in 2020. So just to make sure that people are aware of that. So, you know, there's something you mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation about professionals who are growing their income. And I mean, that's my crowd. I work with higher income and established writers and copywriters. I help them grow their income, which is great. But in many cases, as you mentioned, that also means higher taxes. So what do we need to know as we become more successful and move into higher tax brackets? How should we prepare? Is that even a concern? I mean, should we even be worried about that? I've never met someone who says, I'm kind of holding back because I don't want to jump into a new tax bracket. Everyone I know just kind of just goes for it. And then at the end, they figure it out. So any ideas or strategies that would help us plan better or think about this differently? You bet. Yes. There's all kinds of strategies out there. Probably one of the first ones that I like to go to after looking at the entity analysis is I like to do a retirement analysis. How many years do they have to retirement? What do they already have in place? And what can we put in place that becomes a tax deduction for the business? And we can put some substantial amounts of money into some sort of a retirement program for them, which will give them some pretty nice tax deductions today. And then in theory, you know, as you're taking it out down the road, income should be at a lower tax bracket in theory, but, you know, we never know that that's going to actually happen or not. And depends on how much they start pulling out down the road too. But in theory, your income's higher today than it will be down the road when you're actually at retirement. And so there's some really nice strategies in that area that we like to look at when we're meeting with our clients. We also like to look at, sometimes people get a little paranoid about the IRS. And so they're kind of afraid to take on or even think about a new strategy because they're so worried that it's going to cause a red flag with the IRS. And so understanding the types of things that cause a red flag and the types of things that don't. So there's certain strategies that are just totally blessed in the IRS code. It is full of tax deductions and tax strategies, but most of us don't know what we don't know. And then there's other things that are totally tax evasion and we never want to go there. We always want to stay on the side of IRS has blessed this particular tax strategy. So things like, is it possible to write off your medical benefits through your business? Depending on the type of business entity, you possibly could. And that can be a huge deduction for us. Oh my gosh, massive. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're looking for ways. How can we make that work? That we can get some sort of a pre-tax write-off in our business. And in your industry, they don't have a lot of employees. So some of these medical strategies work really well. Because we could do things like a Section 105 medical expense reimbursement plan or those kinds of things that where what you offer to the owner, you have to offer to all your staff. So they don't work as well in an industry where they've got a bunch of employees, like a, you know, maybe a plumbing company and they got 25 or 30 employees. But it works well where you don't have a bunch of employees. And so if we can, you know, write off your health insurance premiums, your co-pays, any other out-of-pocket costs through your business, we can move the needle on your tax return just with that particular strategy. Now, is that something that you could do even if you had no employees? Do you have to have at least one employee in order to qualify for something like that? No, it works. Actually, this is one strategy that works best when you are operating as a sole proprietor or a single member LLC where you file a Schedule C with no employees. Mm-hmm. It works best in that instance and you're married and you have a spouse. We call it hiring our spouse. So we hire the spouse to come work in your business. 
and you pay that spouse with medical benefits. And you're able then to write those benefits off through your business. The spouse can then cover you as their spouse and their family as their dependents. And so it becomes a way to write off 100% of your medical benefits through your business. Now, it doesn't work well if you don't have a spouse. So, you know, we go 1-800-RENT-A-SPOUSE. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Yeah, get married, guys. The biggest piece of advice here is just get married. married. Uh, (laughs) Not for love, for money. (laughs) For medical benefits. (laughs) For medical benefits and savings, tax savings. I like that. So you're essentially talking about, look, what I'm hearing from you, Diane, is just maximize your earning potential. I mean, like, don't, yeah. don't let these things slow you down, but then work with someone where you can plan ahead, number one, early in the year or the previous year, actually, then stay in touch during the year so we could figure out where we are, how we're tracking, and then make adjustments based on that. And, yeah. and then, of course, at the end, we can see where we are and also plan for the following year. Is that maybe kind of a better approach? It is. And then at tax time, I love to pass out the sheet to each of my clients that says, you saved X amount of dollars this tax this tax year. And then I have my accumulative total from all the way down. So some of my clients are up well over six digits of tax savings with us just because it keeps compounding and accumulating over the last few years. Wow. That's how you knew about the 4 million. Yes. I keep change. a spreadsheet. I'm kind of a nerd that way. <laughs> I love that. It's kind of like a thermometer, you know. It's it is. Like these, yeah, it's like 4.2 million. And that's wonderful. Yeah. That is wonderful. So, yeah, I like that approach better. I'd never understood the oh wait a minute, where are we we got to kind of scale back and I don't know anyone who operates that way. Um, so I like your idea a lot lot better. I, the people who operate that way have more of a scarcity mentality. They're just they're afraid to pull the trigger and go because they've been told horror stories about taxes. Well, in reality, taxes aren't horror stories. They're kind of comedy because we can make them fun by letting somebody who's a tax or a profit planning superhero swoop in and help you make this new big difference on your tax return. Yeah. Here's the other thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, the way I understand it too, when you get into higher tax bracket, let's just say it's 300,000. It's one of the cutoffs. It's not that if you make $301,000 that suddenly your tax liability goes up through the roof. It's that anything you earn over $300,000 will be taxed at that higher bracket, but everything below is a totally different story. Is that correct? Correct. Right. Yeah. And people don't understand that. They're so afraid to earn that one more dollar and push them into a new tax bracket. Yeah. 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 Okay. Got it. Makes perfect sense. Is there anything as we start wrapping up that maybe we didn't talk about or any advice that you found has been really helpful for people like us who are self-employed. We don't have huge overhead, but we're missing out on some opportunities that we could be taking advantage of. Well, we're all specialists in the fields that we work in. In your case, copywriting, which I just amazed at what you guys can say in words that I can't. So I hire copywriters all the time. So it kind of goes back to the old adage of work your strengths and hire your weaknesses. So in my case, I hire copywriters. In your case, align yourself with somebody who's proactive, who's entrepreneurial, who understands your industry, who's willing to sit down and have maybe quarterly meetings with you, who will put together a plan and then tweak it as you go forward, who's got your back, who's going to make sure that you are paying the least amount of tax legally possible, 
And as you grow, we'll continue to bring new strategies to the table. Because a business at 200000 is a completely different business than one at 500000 because they can afford to do different things. So somebody who will just track right with you and be proactive and stay the course with you. I think it's sage advice. And talking about advice, Diane, can you tell us a little bit about where listeners can learn more about you? I know you have a series of books out there. You have some wonderful resources. So where can people learn more about that? The best place for them to go is www.taxcoachforyou.com forward slash high income business writing. We made you your own little URL there. Look at that. I'm so Dr. Special. Yeah, tax coach, the number four, you.com forward slash high income business writing. There, we'll be happy to share our tax planning guide. It's got a lot of different tax deductions and credits and compares the old law and the new law. They can also reach out to me from there and request a copy of my newest book called Unleash the Power of Tax Planning. And we can put some of those you know, information in their hands. I also offer a free discovery session with people where we can have a talk after I've had a chance to look at your tax returns and just tell you, are you doing good? Is, you know, is your accountant being proactive enough with you? Or here's some areas that I see that you could have for improvement. And if we want to work together, we decide to work together and I'll create a plan for you. If not, we are happy to tell you that you're doing a great job and you know, send you on down the road with a bunch of free information. Wow, Diane, thank you for offering those opportunities and resources to our listeners. I'll make sure to include that link in the show notes. So guys, definitely check it out. This is important. And this is the right time of year to get ready. Of course, now we're kind of getting into tax season and prepping and filing, but it's never a bad time to also start the planning aspect that we talked about. Don't wait. Might as well start today. So thank you, Diane. I appreciate that. And thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with my listeners. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I just, I love to help people to understand a little bit better about their taxes. So it's not such a big, scary monster in the middle of the room that nobody wants to talk about. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. I appreciate that. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.